there will come a time when you believe that everything is finished. But that will be your beginning. Your beginning. Over the last 12 weeks, we faced down our hurts, habits, and hang-ups in a tremendous series called He Gets Us. Amen? What a tremendous series. If you missed any message in this series over the last 12 weeks through the 12 steps, let me encourage you to go back and revisit any one of those messages at ChristJourney.org slash messages. Amazing series. It was all at the heart, at the root of that series was all about freedom and life. We learned that Jesus knows us at every level of our lives, loves us all the way deep, and desires to lead us from the pain of our sin and brokenness into the hope and healing of salvation life. The gospel message of Jesus declares to us that whatever hurt, habit, or hang-up that you've faced in this life, it doesn't define you. It doesn't define you. Rather, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. And a new life has begun. Your old life, with, your old life died with Jesus on the cross. It was literally, it was nailed to that old Roman frame. And it's not to be grasped again. And baptism is what symbolically represents this truth in you. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. On the cross, Jesus forgave every sin. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Therefore, whoever believes in Jesus and places their trust in him, your Father Your heavenly father now sees you as right and good. He sees you as his very own son or daughter. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is our hope. This is our truth. This is our way to freedom and new life. For the last 12 weeks, some of you have been doing the hard work to walk with Christ in freedom by taking moral inventory sharing admission, offering contrition and surrender, giving confession, and making restitution and amends. That's the freedom journey, and we live it over and over and over again. This is a journey that, that we don't ever fully complete in this life. It's a journey that we relive and that we find ourselves in depending on where but depending on the circumstances of life, depending on where we are in our walk with freedom with Jesus. And there will come a time in your life when you believe that everything is finished, when you believe that that journey has come to an end. But in reality, that will be your new beginning. Your new beginning. So today as we embark upon the Christ journey of freedom together, this new series is your new start line. Your new beginning. You haven't finished the race. You have more opportunity, more growth in you, more capacity to stretch and fill. Now is your new beginning. The next chapter in your unfolding Christ story. Now is the time to cultivate kingdom leadership. To help others find and follow the one who saved you. Cultivating the kingdom means modeling, mentoring, and multiplying the good news of Jesus Christ with others. 
Each one of the three messages in this series will focus on a unique characteristic of kingdom leadership. And today, I want to begin with the most foundational characteristic of the three, modeling. And I want to begin with this question for you. What are you modeling? What story are you telling? What truths are you declaring? Are you telling a story of freedom? Or are you modeling something that maybe that maybe you're still working through, that maybe you're, you're trying to learn and discern along the way. If you want to know what someone truly believes, then pay close attention to their behaviors because behaviors model beliefs. One proverb says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Whether conscious or subconscious, what you believe in your heart will determine how you behave. Your actions speak louder than your words, right? But here's the flip side. The story doesn't have to be true for you to believe it. Just true to you. You might believe a story in your heart that might not actually be true about you, but you believe it's true for you. I might believe that my colleague wants to do me harm by giving me critical feedback, but in reality, my colleague wants to see me grow and see me flourish. What story are you telling? What truths are you declaring? It's why we need each other. We need each other to help us see our blind spots and what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about others and also what we believe about God. We need to lift our eyes above the fray. We need help doing that. On our own, we tend to keep our eyes down here. We tend to keep our eyes right here. But we need to keep our eyes up here to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need help and seeing above the fray, what you believe in your heart is as close as your reflection in the mirror. So what are you modeling? What stories are you telling? What truths are you declaring? Because your behaviors model what you believe. Jesus cultivated kingdom leadership throughout his entire life and ministry. But we see him modeling, mentoring, and multiplying the tenets of the kingdom most acutely and urgently in the final hours leading up to his death on the cross and in the first hours after his resurrection. In today's message, I want to briefly examine John chapters 12 and 13 on how Jesus modeled kingdom leadership in the hours leading to his crucifixion. And then next week, we'll look at how Jesus mentored kingdom leadership with his disciples just before going to the cross. And then in the last week of the series, in two weeks from now, we'll look at how Jesus multiplied kingdom leadership in those first hours after his glorious resurrection. So let's begin together today in John chapter 12 with how Jesus modeled kingdom leadership. In verse 23, John chapter 12, speaking to his disciples, Jesus said this, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Cue applause. Wow. Prior to this moment, John records that Jesus said on several other occasions, it's not yet time. It's, it's not yet my time. But in verse 23, Jesus announced that there will be no more holding back. The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I mean, I'm just imagining if I'm one of his disciples, I'm thinking, yeah, like now, now for the main event. Like, here we go, Jesus. Here we go. In the first century, many Jews believed that the Messiah's glory 
would be displayed by waging a holy war against the powers and principalities of the world to establish God's kingdom on earth through the nation of Israel. So if I'm a, if I'm a Jew, I'm thinking now's our time. Is this what Jesus meant by, by entering into his glory? I think a lot of people hope so. I think a lot of people were expecting to see it and were hoping for something that looked like that. But Jesus said something entirely different. In verse 24, he said this, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death, referring to his own death, will produce many new kernels. A plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world, Jesus says, will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. I don't think anyone expected to hear that. I mean, come on. I mean, doesn't, doesn't glory mean victory? I mean, doesn't, doesn't it mean splendor? So show me the glory, Jesus. Show the world your glory, man. Sh- show, them, show the world what we know about you. But what Jesus revealed about the kingdom, about kingdom glory, about what it means to give glory to your father, challenged everyone's preconception of glory. Everyone back then, and quite frankly, it's still challenging our lives to this very day, isn't it? To give your life away for others, oh my. Doesn't that directly oppose not only every storyline that says live your best life, hold tighter, get more. It also opposes our innate sense of self, doesn't it? Our own identity as a human being. I mean, to give my life away, wait a minute, doesn't that won't that cost me something? Won't that cost me my own, my life and the way that I understand myself and perceive myself in this life? Nothing in us. And it's okay to admit this, that nothing in us says lower yourself to grow higher. Everything in us says to grow higher means we need to get more, hold tighter, do it our own way, hold on to control. But the call to leadership that Jesus offers directly challenges every single one of these ideals, doesn't it? No one, not even his closest disciples, could hear Jesus say, those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity and feel good about that. At best, it's confusing. But at worst, it feels impossible. Jesus is calling all his followers across all time to do the impossible. So why would Jesus give this call? Is he setting us up for failure? Does Jesus take pleasure in our pain? Or does Jesus believe in a bigger story, in a bigger storyline for you than what might seem possible right now, but in reality might be the very answer to what will truly satisfy your soul? To care nothing for our lives in this world feels downright impossible. I want to reject it. (laughs) I I don't want it. Who does? Yet what if the storyline that says hold tighter, 
get more. more. Hold on to your control. What if the, the, the storyline that all of us believe to some extent, because we swim in these waters, we, we live in this world, what if that storyline is the one that's actually impossible to achieve? What if, what if that's the impossible storyline? Seeking fulfillment in the storylines of this world always leaves us wanting in the end, doesn't it? They always do, every single one. They always leave us coming up short and needing more. We may not freely want to admit this. And we may not freely admit that we believe in these storylines as the pathway to fulfillment. But what do your behaviors model about what you believe? On the surface, Jesus seems to flip everything upside down in this passage, but in the most real and true sense, he is laying the path to true fulfillment for anyone who chooses to walk it. For anyone who chooses to walk this path, fulfillment is yours. (laughs) Jesus doesn't hide it. He makes it plain. It makes it clear. But we need to choose to walk it. Jesus' way of life seems so counterintuitive especially in Miami, South Florida, where we live, so counterintuitive. Yet living the storyline of Jesus, which calls us to model kingdom leadership by lowering ourselves to grow higher, that leads to true fulfillment for which all our hearts long and also helps us relate to one another in such a way that we don't always feel like we're we're needing to challenge each other or one-up each other or prove our worth to someone else. Man, how exhausting is that? How exhausting. Rather, Jesus said, my servants must be where I am. Where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. When we are following the way of Jesus, we are with our God. The source, provider, sustainer of life. And so, what might feel exhausting now, or what might even feel uh, so impossible with the storylines that we currently believe about this world, we find the satisfaction as we grow closer with our Lord and let his energy build us from the inside out. Stay with me, Jesus said, for whoever draws close to me receives my blessing in abundance. After Jesus shared this teaching, this very radical, unexpected teaching to his disciples, he walked his talk by modeling for them what losing your life for the sake of others really looks like. And John records it like this in chapter 13. After teaching these things, Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet. It wasn't enough that they gave such a radical teaching, but now he's doing something that none of these guys ever expected. And he dried their feet with the towel that he had around his waist. Man, I can't overstate the gravity of this moment, truly. The incarnate God of the universe, wearing only a towel around his waist, standing nearly naked before his 12 closest followers, just hours before he would be stripped and beaten and probably placed naked on an old Roman cross. The Son of God bent down and with his bare hands watched the dirty, grimy feet of these 12 ordinary men, including one of these men who would later betray him in just a matter of hours. And this, Jesus modeled, is what he meant when he said, now is is the time for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Jesus said, let me show you what it means. Let me model for you what real glory, kingdom glory looks like, because it looks nothing 
like you expect it to look. This is, and this is how he chose to do it. Jesus defines glory as humble, servant-hearted love. For in God's kingdom, the lower you make yourself, the higher you grow. The higher you grow. The Apostle Paul captured this principle by saying this. You must have the same attitude. You, us, must share in the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. This is the incarnate God of the universe, the creator of all things, died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus didn't just teach about humble, servant-hearted leadership and then walk away from it, leaving us to figure it out. He lived and breathed the ethos of the kingdom all the way to the cross. So when Jesus said, those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity, he behaved according to what he believed about the kingdom. He didn't just say it and walk away. He lived it. He lived it. And by the presence of his spirit, alive in you and alive in our church, he gives you the power and the possibility to cultivate kingdom leadership too. John writes, after Jesus washed their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now, did you notice that when, when Jesus asked the question, do you understand what I was doing? Do you, do you notice that John didn't record a single response? <laughs> you just imagine the disciples, oh my goodness, Jesus, please don't look at me. Oh my. <laughs> don't make me answer that question, Jesus, because I don't think the disciples had any idea what he was doing. And quite often, neither do we. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I mean, for so long in my life, I would read through these passages and I would think, oh no, Jesus, I don't know what you're doing here. And are you really calling me to live this kind of life? Because this kind of life feels really hard to me. It feels a bit impossible for me. But yet Jesus says, do as I've done to you. Now, does this mean that you need to wash each other's feet? Well, there might be an opportunity for you to follow the lead of Jesus in this way, there might be, I've, I've been a part of that and it's a profound experience. But I don't think Jesus necessarily is calling us to literally do this. In fact, we don't see any other recording of the disciples ever doing this. The only time we see it again, foot washing again up here, is in 1 Timothy 5.10 when Paul writes of a widow who washes the feet of other believers and commends her for that. But what I do think Jesus is doing here is he's giving us an example to follow and wants us to adhere to a complete commitment to humble, servant-hearted love. Because after Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, he says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love 
one another. If we practice the heartbeat of what Jesus modeled in humble servant heart of love, then we show the world that not only Jesus is real, but that it's possible to live the impossible. We may not understand or grasp all that Jesus taught and modeled, but at the heart of a right side up and fulfilled life is humble servant hearted love. That's what Jesus modeled. And I believe that's the example that he wants us to model to others. Now I'm banking on the facts right now that most of us in this room have seen Top Gun Maverick. Is that right? Is that right? If you have not seen Top Gun Maverick, do not raise your hand because I will, I will subtly hold that against you. I, I'm not going to lie. I will do that. In fact, I, I'm almost tempted to say after church is over, anyone want to go see it? I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm open. I'm open. I've seen three movies in the theater over the last three years, and all three were Top Gun Maverick. I, man, what an incredible, what an incredible film. Um, I am going to spoil a portion of it for you uh, because you've had two months to watch it and that's on you, okay? So <laughs> you, should have, you should have seen it. If you haven't seen it and you're thinking, oh man, I don't want Pastor Ryan to spoil Top Gun, I'm, well, that's on you. So I'm just, <laughs> I just want to be honest with you. In the, in the film, Maverick is charged with the mission to equip the best of the best naval aviators to quite literally do the impossible. But time is running out, and just before the mission, the admiral grounds him, and now the mission, this impossible mission, might actually, might not even happen because Maverick can't lead his pilots to do it. And in a scene with his love interest, Penny, Maverick says, listen, I'm out. I'm out. This is over. It's all over. But Penny says, listen, Maverick, if anything happens to your pilots up there, you wouldn't forgive yourself. And what she's sort of saying underneath the surface is, you love these guys. You're brothers in arms together. You love, you love these brothers and the sister. And you wouldn't ever forgive yourself if anything happened to them on this mission and you weren't there to help them along the way. And Maverick says, I don't know what to do. And then Penny says, you'll find a way. The way Maverick found was to risk his own career and life to model the impossibility or the possibility of the impossible. He models the possibility of the impossible. Man, I know it's just a movie, but I love this scene in the film. In fact, one of the reasons why I saw it three times is because there's nothing like when Maverick steals that F-18 and goes up in the air and models the impossible. I love it. I, lo I, I love that film. But long before Mav... Jesus modeled the way to the good life, your truest and best life through humble servant heart of love by showing up on the course, stepping into this world and doing what he said he could do. Jesus modeled the way forward by literally God incarnate, son of God, doing what he said he could do. God entered into our world as a human being to show the way for us because we need someone to model the way to the good life, to receive salvation life. More than likely, someone in your life has modeled the way for you. This person probably didn't fly fighters, although maybe they did, and that would be so cool if they did. But more than likely, this person took you in tonight. 
Maybe they led your small group. Maybe they taught your math class. We need people in our life to model how to forgive and how to say I'm sorry. We need people to model how to live generously. We need people to model how to love with servant-hearted humility. These traits don't just poof, appear in our lives. If they did, we would be having a completely different conversation, wouldn't we? Kingdom leadership develops over time by watching others model the characteristics and traits that Jesus gave to us. Then as we observe others in the body, in the church, in small groups, in our families, make themselves lower to grow higher, then all of a sudden what feels so impossible and counterintuitive becomes not only possible, but dare I say, even normal. When people model the way forward, it becomes normalized in us. It becomes more than possible. It becomes realistic for us. Maybe not all at once, but don't ever underestimate the power of small gains over time. Cultivating kingdom leadership is a matter of heart, and that takes time to grow. So what are you modeling today? What stories are you telling? What truths are you declaring? One Christ Journey family has modeled humble servant-hearted love to literally hundreds of children at CJ Kids. Take a listen to the Garcia family story. Hi, I'm Adina. I'm Talia. And I'm Katia. And, and we, we serve, serve in family ministry. I don't really remember exactly how my husband and I started serving because it was 20 years ago. It may have been that somebody asked us, but primarily it was because we saw the impact that having a place to leave our own daughters um, and be able to go to church and, and worship and, and just be filled. Uh, we didn't have that at our, at our old church. We basically had to go to church and deal with two toddlers. Um, and that was a real challenge. So we wanted to give the opportunity to other parents to do the same thing. I guess for me, I started serving in Discovery Land. So Annie, for me, was who I like looked up to in that role as someone who like always filled the room with joy and like brought such life to everywhere that she was. And that was something that I wanted to emulate for the people that I was serving. Um, so I always looked to her as kind of inspiration and yeah, a model of what I wanted to be and of Jesus and how I wanted to serve. So I started serving a couple years after um, the Leah had started and I had seen her serve in large group um, it, with the preschoolers in Discovery Land and just the way that the kids would like look up to her and listen to the stories she was telling and they would stand up and follow her and the, doing the Bible verse and worship. It was something that I really wanted to be a part of so just kind of wanted to follow in her footsteps as well as just be a part of teaching these kids. I think the most important thing in terms of legacy is knowing that each subsequent generation is going to love God and follow God and also serve. With the help of the church, I think I've accomplished that with my daughters, you know, that we served, my husband and I served, and then they started serving. And um, I have this one anecdote, I had one of the moms, uh, we had all three of of her daughters and at one point she said I'd love to see you serving with your daughters I hope that one day I can do the same with with my girls and now she's doing that and I think that's that's part of of what it is you know that 
that we are modeling service and modeling love and I think it's kind of neat. I, I really love serving with, with my daughters, but that there was this mom that said, oh, I, I want to do that with my girls. And now she's doing it with her girls. And of course now that her girls are older, she's like, oh, we had you when you were. <laughs> um, so seeing that, um, watching, watching kids that we've had in our room go on and, and serve and lead and work in kids camp, um, serve in rooms, serve in large group, up on stage, I think, you know, we have a little part in that, that, you know, we planted some seeds, we gave them the space, we taught them, and then we see, you know, some of that grow. We see Adina modeling it for Thelia, and then Thelia modeled it for Katya, and then together they've modeled it. They've modeled the gospel and their faith to literally hundreds of children over the years. Some of those children have gone on to model it in small groups with other children as small group leaders and teenagers, and some of them are going to student camp next week to model it for more, more people. Some of you probably had the whole Garcia family in your, in, your, in your room. I mean, on and on it goes because a few people said, I believe in this and I believe in the way of humble servant hearted leadership. And so I want to invest my life in these children and raise them up and see growth happen. So this week, may I invite you to consider giving your attention to one don't and one do. First, don't check out. Don't check out of this. It's so easy to give any infinite number of reasons why not to cultivate kingdom leadership. So keep your heart and mind focused on your why. Let your why drive what and how you lead your life. A couple days ago on LinkedIn, I saw a meme that read, if serving is below you, then leading is beyond you. <laughs> and I thought, man, that's true words haven't been spoken. Because at the, at the crux of healthy, faithful leadership, is humble servant heart of love. Humble servant heart of love isn't a sprint. It's a long obedience in the same direction. So don't check out when obedience to Jesus gets hard. Don't check out. The hard is what makes the good life so good and so satisfying. If you work at an organization or company that doesn't value servant heart of leadership, then, then consider modeling service through your character and through your integrity. When you see people cut corners, don't cut corners. Live with integrity. As the gossip is happening around you, politely excuse yourself and walk away. Don't engage. Do you want to look back on your life at the end of the day and say, I, I am where I am today because I chose to cut corners and leave a pile of broken relationships behind me? I don't think so. Or do you want to say, I was honest with myself and with others. I, I lived with integrity at home, in my workplace, at school. I blessed others by offering an encouraging word and lifted them. I helped others grow in their competencies and skills. I led with character marked by humble, servant-hearted love. Don't check out when the way becomes hard. 
check in. And instead, let's all together do the impossible. Let's do the impossible together. Break out of the status quo and toss aside the storylines that promise fulfillment, but in reality, always leave us wanting in the end. And instead, let's model for a hurting, lost world where to find good news because at the end of the day, our world doesn't believe in it. They believe that good news is impossible. So then, let's do the impossible. Let's show a watching world what the impossible looks like as Jesus comes alive in us and gives us his spirit to do it. Let's begin today by cultivating kingdom leadership muscle that leads you to make your life lower, to grow higher. Let's take reps and serving opportunities. Let's walk on the edge together. This doesn't mean living as a doormat to others. Kingdom leadership is not about being nice all the time. Cultivating kingdom leadership is about transformation. It's about cultivating transformation in your life and in the lives of others. So choose today to believe in the transformational power of Jesus. He doesn't define you by your past. Instead, you've been forgiven all the way through and made right. So let's model your belief in these truths and cultivate the kind of leadership that builds into eternity. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for modeling for us what true leadership and the way to the good life really looks like. Thank you for giving us fulfillment in you as your spirit comes alive in us. And Lord, thank you for not just teaching a bunch of hard, difficult truths and then walking away, but Lord, you modeled it all the way. You modeled it by washing the feet of your closest disciples and then you modeled it by washing away our sin on the cross. Jesus, thank you. Give us this strength and the courage to help one another live this way. Lord, give us the strength and courage to live it ourselves as you unite us together as one church, your body. Lord, give us the vision to humbly serve others in love as we make this prayer in your name. Now, for those of you today who want to take your first step of faith, maybe at some point in this message, you thought to yourself, man, I want to live the way of Jesus, and I want, I want to receive his freedom and his salvation today, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, today I'm turning from my way to your way. I receive your forgiveness for my sin, and I'm receiving your spirit to launch me out. And so, Lord, I'm with you. Give me your life. As I make this prayer in your name, if you prayed a prayer, this salvation prayer to receive Jesus for the first time today, then would you mind just raising your hand, just you and me, so I might have the opportunity to say a prayer of blessing over you. Amen. Thank you. To my left. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the transformation taking place right now. And Lord, we pray that our lives would become an offering for you and that you would help us take steps in your way as we make this prayer in your name, Lord. We love you. Amen.